0: Okay. Okay. Good morning to all our listeners. I should say, good morning to the, to our twelve listeners as well as the new person. So. I'm really thrilled with that because you wonder if anybody's going to listen but I noticed the other day there was like there was 12 people listening so just remember this is not meant to be a top of the line wonderful recording podcast this is us with a little sony recorder on the table so if you can't have, make it I have to sorry interrupt what okay, no, it was perfect. for me to tell you that you were going to do this and I was thinking it's, so you have your radio program so Greg <laughs> she told me that her grandchildren say well grandpa has a yes. tv show yep. yeah because yep. they record the sunday worship yeah and they <laughs> exactly so and I think it's not you know what yeah. I am going to tell the grandkids they can listen to, to Gigi on the radio because yes because how can you compete with with grandpa has a, a TV show on every Sunday at 1030 yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah so yes so and it's funny because I was teasing Randy I said I have more listeners than you do because most people if they miss church will go to the podcast where you see it not the pod bean where it's recorded yeah. so technically I have more listeners than go. he does you so go. you know <laughs> Okay, so um, Paul Begins His Ministry is the title of Marilyn's Devotion. Thank you again, Marilyn, for writing these for us. Um, And a little background. Today, we are actually going to start talking about Paul. So we've alluded to that he's part of Acts and haven't gotten to him yet. But we're going to, toward the end of our lesson, talk about Paul and his conversion. And so she picks up on that theme as her devotion. So exit Saul, enter Paul. The change in character was almost like a slowly dipping sunset. Saul sat down on the road to Damascus when suddenly a shocking brilliance blinding human eyes knocks him down upon the dusty road. The defiant, obstreperous commandant for the Jews lay helpless for three days. Again, that number three. So prevalent in the Bible with such mysterious meaning, scholars consider the numeral three to be the number of divine perfection or the trinity the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, like the resurrection on the third day, sight is restored with the break of a sunrise. And what a baptismal sunrise it was. The Lord called the disciple named Ananias in a vision and told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. I... Now, I don't know about you, but if God asked me to go to Straight Street to collect a blind man named Saul, whose reputation was widely known, I'm not sure I would high tail it over there to fetch him. At Ananias's retort, the Lord said, go, this man is my chosen instrument. Upon hearing the direct command of God, that's exactly what Ananias did. During his three days of blindness, Paul did some agonizing soul-searching, examining, trusting, doubting, an oxymoronic self-studying of his intellectual and emotionally blinding Hebrew belief and faith. All of his inbred doctrinal branding was rising to the surface and casting arousing doubts on his former religious life. It was like being told implicitly that most of his previous zealous and fervent life had been a tragic lie. But God did not issue an edict commanding Saul to hunt down and murder non-Jews and Christians. So what was it which propelled the the passion in Saul to persist in evil things on behalf of religion? Saul could be compared to a modern-day serial killer. He was calculating sadistic and brutal without pause. He watched the stoning of Stephen with sly satisfaction. If you were a disciple, how eager would you be to associate or accept a first-degree murderer? who suddenly had a change of conscience, or was given a new set of eyes. Only a miracle could make this possible. And yes, it certainly did take an intervention by the Lord Jesus himself. We know God has our entire lives planned before we leave our mother's womb, the good and the bad, but the Lord always uses the bad, no matter how heinous, to create and provide a good result, which works best for his kingdom. And Paul used his zeal for spreading the gospel as fervently as he hunted down those who now gathered for Christ. Let us pray. Dear Father, we live a galaxy in a galaxy far away from your prophetic wisdom. We often are perplexed with what happens in our lives. Help us to trust your plans and providence, which is meant for the goodness of all mankind. Let us see how you are always working for us, no matter what challenges we face. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. Hey. So we left off last time. the The Gospel is now moving out after the after the stoning of Stephen. And the good things that happen with the Gospel moving out and this persecution is that the Gospels were written because not everyone was together. The epistles are going to be written in this time, which is the letters, um, mostly from Paul, from Peter, because um, as the church moves out and they're spreading the Word, Again, they're not going to get on a plane or an Amtrak. They have they have to um, have a means of spreading the word. Leadership is developed in the structure of the church. We'll see that happening, and formal doctrines and creeds are resulting to guard against the false teaching. Not this week, but next week or the week after, we're going to talk about how um, with the Gentiles uh, coming on board now the Jewish rules aren't going to make sense to everyone anymore, and there's going to be some turmoil in the church because of that. But what those turmoils do is it brings everyone together to come up with um, the answers to those problems. So we'll get to that next week. But now, um, so the church is persecuted and scattered. We we read about Philip being in Samaria. He was one of the, not the original apostles, but the apostles laid his hand, their hands on Philip He was one of those chosen seven to help out. So he's out there going now and preaching to the Sumerians and they're converted. So just a little bit of a a recap from last week. I'm just going to read that part again. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. We're in uh, Acts chapter 8 and I'm uh, recapping starting at verse 4. Yes, yes. Sorry about that. Um, so those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytic and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So now we're going to hear about a man named Simon, Simon the sorcerer. And not that you you probably know a lot of sorcerers, maybe you do, I don't know, your personal lives, but there are implications to people we do know in here, so, and implications for ourselves. So verse 9, Simon the sorcerer, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed this man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So here's Simon who's obviously a non-believer because he hears the word and is baptized. Now he was doing great signs and wonders. So are the apostles doing great signs and wonders. We just heard Philip um, was casting out evil spirits and healing. So he definitely has an interest in what is going on here. When the, verse 14, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Previously, we see people hearing the word, being baptized, receiving the Holy Spirit. This is all happening at once. Here, there's a de- delayed indwelling of the Holy Spirit. For some people, this is, is of great interest because they it Acts as a book where churches take out things and try to make this the formula for how a church should be. A lot of the different doctrines of the churches, how churches... Um, uh, do baptism, do you know? talk about the Holy Spirit, comes from this. So we see that there isn't a specific formula because now we have this delayed indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I think in studying that, I think um, one of the big agreements with theologians is that, because we talked last week about the Jews just hating the Samaritans, that we really needed the apostles witnessing to this, not just so the apostles could see it, because I'm sure they're going to believe Philip, but so that the church in Jerusalem, the Jews at this time, could hear back from the Jerusalem church leaders that, yes, this happened, the Samaritans are believers, they've been baptized, and we laid hands on them, and now they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, So Peter and John went to them. When they arrived, they prayed on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he wants a little bit of this action. He can do miracles and stuff. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a magician. He can, he can do trickery. But the laying of the hands in the Holy Spirit, he can't do. So he's offering money. Obviously, that's not the sign of... of what a true believer should do. And the question comes here, does he have genuine faith? Because we don't have to have perfect faith. None of us have perfect faith. So is this just a man who has faith and who's just a little bit confused on this issue? Um, The implications are, like, for us, again, with the perfect faith, do, do we have things that we get confused on that we get wrong? I would say yes because I could I could give out a theological test in this room and, and I don't think that we would all have the same answers because we don't necessarily believe in all the details the right way. And is this what it is? Is this Simon just not believing in details? But as we read further, I think the consensus would be that he did not have, have a true, genuine faith. Because um, verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you because... Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Going back to the Greek, he's basically saying, may you and your money go to hell. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, Peter's coming right out. Peter knows this because of divine intervention. The Lord is telling this to Peter. Um, Peter uh, it said, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He's bondage to sin. So what it is, it's about him. It's not about him misunderstanding part of the word. It's about his heart not being right. And so there will be parts of the word we don't understand. That's why we keep studying and studying it and studying it. And if the Lord calls you to be with him before you understand every word perfectly, It's the heart that matters. Um, Simon's heart was not in the right place. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So he's failing the test here. He's he's still not taking responsibility. He's not like saying, I'm going to repent. You know, he's doing that Christian thing, you know, that, oh, just pray for me. He's telling them, he's putting it on them. We see no evidence here that his heart is, is turned around. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So now again, we see that the keys that the doors are open to the Samaritans. This is also probably why Peter had to come down, because Peter was promised that he'd have the keys to the kingdom, both to the Jews and the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. So when we see each of these groups being um, uh, having their conversions following Jesus. Christ, believing in him as our Savior, we're going to see Peter involved in those things. That is not a formula for the rest of the Bible. Once these doors are open, we don't need to have Peter be witness to any of it. But it is fulfilling what God had already said, that Peter uh, holds the keys to the kingdom. So now Philip is going to meet an Ethiopian. Um, Guess what? Jews didn't like Ethiopians either. They despised them too. And a lot of people they didn't despise. But you, you have to go back in history and realize that the Jews, for thousands of years, were this unit, the God's chosen people. And, and and God was saying, you know, don't intermix with other gods. Stay true to to the God of the Old Testament, to the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so now, when the word is being spread, that's going to be hard on the Jewish people. And we'll see later again, like I said, it gets, it gets, it gets harder all the time. But, but now we have the, the word open to, to the people. Ethiopians wouldn't be considered... Gentiles, like, we're coming up to when the Gentiles are converted. Ethiopians would be, um, they, kn- they knew the God of the Old Testament. We're going to see this Ethiopian. He, he, he had the scripture. He knew the God of the Old Testament like the Samaritans did, but he didn't know Jesus Christ as his Savior. So it's kind of like this halfway point to the Gentiles who know nothing about this God to, um, to a group of people that know something but not everything so it would be more uh combined with what we would think of as the samaritans and their beliefs so uh philip and the ethiopian verse 26 now an angel of the lord said to philip go south to the road the the desert road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza so this is just a pretty deserted road philip is going to listen to what god is telling him no questions um he doesn't have a choice God is just saying through the angel, go. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So Candace is like a name for the queen mother. And he's a man of high importance, uh, obviously, because he's in charge of all the treasury of her. This is a very trusted Ethiopian. The man had gone to, Jeru- to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So this man has the scripture to be able to be reading the scripture means you have a physical copy of the scripture, a physical scroll. He had to have a lot of money and importance to even be able to afford something like that. He had just been up to Jerusalem. So like the Samaritans, there's a temple. He knows about worshiping. He has the word of God. But he doesn't have the whole story. Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. It's customary to read aloud. So it wouldn't be odd that that he came across someone reading out loud. That's what you did with scripture. And the Ethiopian says, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. So he's got the word, but he doesn't understand it. And it brought me back to a discussion we had a few weeks ago about witnessing to people who, whose hearts aren't ready to hear it. This Ethiopian, he's ready. He, he wants to know. He wants to know what it means. You have to have that readiness. So when we witness to people who aren't ready, whose hearts aren't ready, we can blame ourselves for doing it wrong, but, but we shouldn't. But the other thing we do need to do is make sure the word is involved. Because sometimes we try, and we've talked about this, we, we want to witness to people, but we don't really ever want to tell them about Jesus because that might be offensive. So if they don't ever have access to the word, and and we can give them that, you know, I think that's something we need to examine ourselves on. And it, it might be just, I mean, I'll tell you I'll backtrack and tell you a story um, not that this person would be listening to my, to my recording, but you should because, you know, <laughs> this person, if she listens to it, she not know what I'm talking about. So, um, and you guys probably figure out who I'm talking about, but I just don't want to use people's names without asking them if I can use their names. So I know a high school teacher. Some of you just probably figured out who it was I'm talking about right there. So I know a high school teacher who's teaching in a public school system, and um, it's hard sometimes. It's hard with a lot of the stuff that the children are being inundated with. And this is not a referendum on social issues by any means, but but it was the impetus to this whole conversation that happened at the school. So the teacher's having a really hard time because it's, it's really getting in the way of teaching. And one of the parents really complained about how that's getting in the way of teaching. And so to the school's credit, they said, okay, teachers, your job is not to promote any social... Uh, any social programs. Um, your job is not to, to, to tell the children what you think about things or what they should think about things. Your job is to teach. Now, if the other students want to promote their clubs and their activities, that was still okay with the school, but the teachers need to take all the posters down on their walls, all the things that have social implications that some parents might not agree with. So the teacher talking to another teacher, one of the other teachers was Matt. She went out and spent a lot of money, buying t-shirts to promote her social issues because you couldn't do the posters so the first said teacher prayed about it had a conversation with the person to, to explain the view of the parent she was saying how that's not the parent's view and the parent doesn't agree with that so it's not your job to get yourself in the middle of all that and tell the parent what they should believe and and she talked about how, you know, what the Bible teaches and she said, these parents believe this. This is, you know, they believe the word of God and this is what the word of God teaches. And the other teacher professes to believe in God but professes to believe in a lot of things. So, like Simon the Sorcerer, it is all mixed up in all of this stuff. So, yes, she was familiar with it but there was something in her that was open to it. So, she came back, second teacher, came back last week to the- first teacher and said she said i ordered i ordered i downloaded bible hub on my on my phone i'm going to listen to the new testament and she said it's the first time that somebody ever talked to me about the bible without being judgmental so it was the impetus the social issues to bring in the bible but she wasn't judgmental about what that person believed but now we've got the word of god in her hands, mm-hmm. and that's how God is going to work. She's going to learn about the God through his word. She learned about, she had that connection with someone else that believed. So as hard as it was to talk to this person who had that big wall in front of her, it, because it's not about all the little issues. It, you just start at the beginning about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're going to get into this, this Gentile nation too, who doesn't know anything about the Old Testament. Yet. First things first, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Um, and so you, you, you preach the word, but you don't smack people over the head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think I mentioned it before. It brings that Christian song to mind about put down the signs, step over the line and love like he did, because you gotta get, you gotta bring those, get those signs about, I, be- I believe this, I believe this, get that down, think of, and start with the word of God. So it, and I, I tell this story because I think we all have a story kind of like that. We all have that person who's got the posters and the teachers. And it doesn't matter because it was both sides. It was like, you know, the first teacher said it would just be like if I had a pro-life poster in my classroom, which I totally believe in the pro-life movement, but I'm not going to put that in there either because that's not what that classroom is for. So it wasn't like the teacher was saying, they weren't even talking about everything you believe is wrong, everything I believe is right. It got to the word of God. So, and I think, I know we all have that. Um, You probably more than me because... um, you know the thing with with pastors and church workers and their families and yeah we're all in here you guys all believe you're coming to me cuz you already believe so i got it kind of easy and my husband will say he's got it kind of easy too cuz people come in there they're already they're already there he's got a lot of other things to do and he does he collects unbelievers as friends from the places he goes so he does like i met somebody at a farmer's market once with him he goes oh he's my favorite jewish person outside of jesus like he's got jewish friends and unbeliever friends um, um mostly because he's an interloper at a country club he doesn't even belong to when he meets one of people there so um you know whatever it takes the lord uses that on saturday afternoons i guess and thank you curtis for inviting him <laughs> he's not listening either but okay so back to the scripture so the Ethiopian is reading the scripture, and um, this is what he's reading from Isaiah in verse 32. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of this of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now that's divine intervention, because you're going to walk up hearing somebody talking about Scripture and they don't have like this random verse from Leviticus, like if your, cattle, if your cow dies in the field of a friend, you're supposed to dig a hole and bury the cattle. Like, it's not like that, it's like he's talking about, um, from Isaiah, about Jesus coming. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and they, oh. They came to the wa- some water, and the eunuch said, "Look, here is water. Why should I be baptized? Here's some water in the desert. Perfect timing. Again, divine inter- intervention." And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, if you're looking in your Bible, or you could do it later, I don't, I don't know if you have this, but is there a verse 37 in your Bible? I do not have a verse 37 in my Bible. I have a verse 36. And it skips to 38. 38. This is not, a, that's not a typo of numbers. There is no verse 37. in Okay, can you read that to us, verse 37? It and it's in parentheses. Yes. It says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right, so that seems like a pretty important verse. Philip says, if you believe with your whole heart, and, and he answered, yes, I do. You know, for baptism. Why it's not in some Bibles and it's in quotation marks in others is because it's really not considered part of the original scripture. And I could get into that if I want to study that a lot. Why the um, there's about 16 times this happens in the Bible where it's something that probably a scribe just put in there. It's it's true. It's good, but we we think it's a voice other than than the voices of Philip and the eunuch in here. So. It's, that's why with respect, some Bibles will just leave that number out. Um, you know, the numbers weren't in the Bible when they wrote the Bible, but the, those are those people who study the Bible. I and, will say that there's a footnote for yeah, that. Yes. That it says most manuscripts do not contain the story. Yes. And I thought this was the only time it happened, but it, it's other parts of scripture too, where it's important to the story, but maybe not original to the story. And I like that, that, the, that such detail in deciding which verses in the, in the Bible should be in there. You can go back to, like, the original manuscripts that we have of the Bible, and there's very little changes. Now, things happen when, when different languages are involved and, and um, the translations, but the Bible is very true to that original manuscript. So I appreciate that attention to detail. But it is it's not a number um, typo. So then, um, so, he, gave, so they, he was baptized. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Words used like in the rapture. So he, he was just gone. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So, and historians would say that this eunuch's um, baptism and, and his belief in Jesus Christ led to uh, an explosion of, of of the gospel being preached in Ethiopia and that this would be the story responsible for so many Ethiopians coming to the Lord. So I, that's not in the Bible, but we have no reason to believe that he didn't go back to Ethiopia. If, you, if this happened to you, you're going to go tell people and you're going to preach. There is nothing as wonderful as seeing a new, a new convert preach the Bible. And I remember being in, in, um, I went to Lutheran College Concordia in Ann Arbor and then we went to Randy went to seminary, so we were there. And um, most of the guys I would say were, you know, pretty much Lutheran since birth. But man, these guys that, that were converted as adults that 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 knew, didn't know the our Lord and Savior until they were older, oh, they were on fire. So it was just neat to see I can't imagine this Ethiopian is just gonna go back and not tell anybody, especially if, if we have people in Ethiopia who know the scripture of the Old Testament, and look at how easy that was. Well, it's easy because of God and the Holy Spirit, Um, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, coming and and preparing this man's heart for that, but when he he knew the Word, and I, there was, um, when I was the uh, director of preschool, we had a a young man in there, and I may have told the story, excuse me if I did, but uh, he needed some, some special, some special help. It was a little more than we could handle in the classroom, so his parents had hired a, a wonderful young woman to come to, to school with him every day and, and help him with our lessons and things. So he had one on one, and um, she she was a Jew. She was Jewish, and she would sit there in preschool. and We would have Bible story time, and she was talking to me in the hallway one day, and she said, "Oh, I never heard that story before." And it was just a, a story you would have thought even Jewish people would have heard. She says, "She yeah, said I she'd never seen a New Testament. No one had ever told her." And I thought. Wow, we just always assume that everybody has access and everybody hears and just nobody had ever told her. And how sad that there's people going around that just that don't have the Bibles and, and no one ever tells them. So lesson learned again. So verse nine, finally getting to Saul again. Saul's chapter nine, Saul's conversion. We saw Saul once already when Stephen was being stoned and uh, he was standing there very ominously watching the coats of the people So just a little background on Saul, and this is my embarrassing story to hide it and know something that I should have known, but in going around, I found a lot of people who should have known this and didn't know this either, so I'm not so embarrassed because I won't name names, but they were older people than me and people that should have known. And I think this is, I was telling Patty, I said, so much, I, I think what we picture in the Bible is from Sunday school stories. And so we get this five minute little story and they're good. Those are great introductions. But when you're older, it's nice to dig a little deeper. I always thought that it was Paul, Conversion, Saul. No, his name was always Saul and Paul. It, I mean, yes, yeah, Saul, Conversion, Paul. I think I said it the wrong way. Um, he always had two names. He actually had more names than that. Um, Saul is um, is his um, Jewish name, and Paul is going to be his quote-unquote Gentile name. So we're going to hear him called Paul a lot, obviously, the Apostle Paul, when he's preaching to the Gentiles, but you're going to still see references to where they call him Saul. And so this is like the background on Saul slash Paul. Um, so um, Saul was born in Tarsus, and Alexander the Great sent a lot of Jews to this area for labor. So it is possible that that's how his family got there. But we also know that, that we see it with Paul that he's a Roman citizen. He, he talks about that. That's why how Margaret Hess taught where you do chronologically is, is actually the better way to teach because there's so much about Paul in, in Acts That we really need to look at his epistles to see the rest of the story. So as you're studying things on your own, you know, look at usually in your footnotes it'll give you the Bible verse from one of the other books, and if you do that, it's it all comes together as a better picture. If you want to do it that way, but so we know he's a Roman citizen, we're going to see that later. So how he would become a Roman citizen, and the way it's portrayed is that he's a Roman citizen of pretty high importance. Now since he was Jewish, he got this. More than likely because his dad or his grandpa did something to gain favor with the Romans. Did I keep saying Jewish citizen or did I say Roman citizen? I'm sorry. I'm doing two things in my head. I'm talking and I'm remembering at the same time. So, so yes, he's a Roman citizen because his dad or his grandfather probably did something to gain a lot of favor. And if that was the case, then after he was born, he had, there was a certain amount of time you had to, to get your newborn papers to give them citizenship. That was really important because Paul was, had access to all kinds of places, as did you know when we were calling him Saul, um, his Jewish name, his, his rabbi name, when he was going around persecuting um, believers, he was getting access to a lot of places. And this would happen because he was a Roman citizen. So that's, that, that's important to his story. He studied um, under Gamaliel um, the rabbi that we heard about previously, the wise rabbi, and he was a part of, um, uh, uh, the, he was a Pharisee. So this is something that you would have to start preparing your child for when they're very young. It wasn't something like, you know, he was older and he got a calling and he decided to be a rabbi and a Pharisee. So, so his parents from when he was very young child began structuring his life for this. So he would follow very strict Jewish customs. He would learn his scripture, memorize his scripture. And then at 13, um, he would go after his bar mitzvah, he would go live in Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel. We find out later too, that his sister lived in Jerusalem. So I don't know if I was his mother, I'd be like, you're living with your sister. I don't know <laughs> if you live with his sister. Some people say you probably live with his sister, but little, just a little side note, she lived there too. Um, so, uh, kind of got through that oh he probably spoke several languages he was very uh educated so greek aramaic latin and again um he probably had three greek names that's how it usually worked we know of paulus or, or paul as we call it for short and then Saul, his hebrew name so probably even had another name that we just don't hear about in scripture uh so we're going to hear about his conversion which you probably all have heard this story a million times it never can be overread because it's it's Basically, the conversion story of the Bible. It's its just taking this man who was killing followers of Jesus and, and having him be the most prolific evangelist in the New Testament and probably all of history, I would argue, is just so miraculous and really shows God's plan, as, as Marilyn talked about in the devotion too, because... I mean, God God never wants evil to happen. He created us without sin. Evil is, is a result of sin. But here we have this evil man who is killing, but God is going to use that for good. And he is going to open up so many doors to salvation through Paul. So let's start in chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and that's what we call the followers of Jesus, as I'm sure you all know that, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul talks about this experience, you know, quite often. We know it's midday, so this is a pretty bright light if you're going to see it in midday and, and flashing all around you. He's getting these letters from the high priests basically arrest warrants, if you will, to, to, to arrest people following um, the way. Now, why does Rome care about this? A, a Jew usually would not, well, he's a Roman citizen also, but he, the Romans gave... The Jews' authority in matters of faith. So, if you know, so Saul acting as as a Roman, he's a Roman. I mean, he's a Jewish rabbi. So, for him to be able to do this, the Roman government is going to let him do that. So that's something that they want to keep their hands off, but they will support it. And he's got these letters, so the Romans actually will help him when people need to be arrested. So these, these letters that he's carrying are important arrest warrants. So Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus is saying me. He's not just persecuting the, the people of the church. When we persecute believers, we're persecuting Jesus. We're persecuting the word. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, he's not calling him Lord like, like you're the Lord. I know this already and I'm saying your name. It's like respect, like sir. So he's saying, who are you, sir? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hands into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So we don't see here that these men were also converted and that they they even saw Jesus. And we don't know exactly everything that, um, that, that Paul saw. Did he actually see Jesus in the flesh? Um, I think people would say that he did, the theologians. Um, just, just like the, the disciples saw Jesus after he, he, he rose, Paul's experience either way was with the risen Savior. So this is why Paul now can call himself an apostle because all the apostles had been witness to the, to the risen, to the risen Christ. And then they laid their hands on others who could do the work of the apostles, but the leaders of the church were a witness to that. So Paul's ministry is going to be very much um, separated from the other apostles, but now he has that authority because of this experience. So he's going to try to be part of that Jerusalem church, but that is not what God has in mind for him. So verse 10, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God's telling He's working both ends here. He's telling Ananias, okay, you need to go find this man. He's going to tell Paul the same thing, that this man is coming. Straight Street is actually in the Bible. It's it's capitalized. It's the name of a street. In Damascus, there is a street that's straight that goes through a town. It's very odd in the Middle East for a, a street to be straight and go right down the middle because everything's winding. So this is a real street in Damascus, in ancient Damascus. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. I think it's, it, we can't overstate enough because we've understated it too much. I think I have, knowing the story about Saul's conversion, what, look at the faith of Ananias. He's like, he's not arguing with God. I mean, he says, he says to God, you know, this is the guy who's killing everybody, but God says, go and he goes. And what faith that is. This is a man sent out to a, to a known enemy, and he's going to trust God. And I give such such credit, such reverence to these missionaries that go in these hostile places when you know, you could be killed and they go anyways, they've answered that calling for God. I think it's sad. I've seen people not answering their calling and that kind of breaks my heart because I see people that just that know they have it. They want the Lord to send them. And, um, the sad thing is I've seen it when when I've seen it happen it's it's been to young people, and it's been their parents who tell them not to do it, not enough money in that in that in that. Don't do that. you're not going to like that job. Do this job, do this job. And so that kind of breaks my heart. and um, you know it's just, it, it's not even people you know, but I've seen this happen to, and uh, it's sad, and then I've seen other people who just whatever it takes, Lord, and sometimes it's not going to be the Lord sending you to to uh, another country where they're killing Christians, it's going to be God sending you to work on a random Tuesday and you don't want to talk to the person next to you because, because they're, they're the, they're the Saul's who are going around in in their own way persecuting. So God's going to put that in front of us, but man, how Ananias just is like, okay, I'm going to go there, you know, and the, the trust he has in God, because if you trust God, you know, it's going to be okay. But that's where I get, um, My stumbling block. I know that's what God said, but I mean, it can't really mean that. But yes, he does really mean that. So verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. And I mean, brother Saul? Mm -hmm. Saul's persecuting, killing Christians. You think Ananias knows any of those? Probably. Mm -hmm. So, or at least their families, he's heard about it. So could you just go that quick? Somebody, somebody kills somebody you love and God says, oh, go. And you're like that, just calling him brother is like, Mm -hmm. is he forgiving them? You know, that's really hard. It takes, it takes a lot. Mm -hmm. You see these people that, you know, go into a prison or something. I was listening to something and someone brought this point up, but it's like that. You, you forgive the person who killed somebody in your family that's like what this is. That's a big deal. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. First thing he does, scales fell off his eyes and he's baptized. He's given his life over to the Lord. And uh, Marilyn alluded to the three days, how important that three days is in the Bible. Every time you hear three is something important. And, um, you know, why wasn't it instantaneous? When we needed Ananias to get there, maybe that's part of it. Maybe he had to just think about it, to, to um, think about what just had happened. And, you know, it didn't happen just like that. It, ha- it happened, and then he had three days where he was blind. Um, you know, I was blind and now I see. This is metaphorical, yes, but this really happened it Happened to Paul. Um, so this goes, Saul in Damascus in Jerusalem. So we go to, that is verse 19. And after gaining, taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Chapter twenty, Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So, This works so well for a bunch of reasons. Okay, he's the guy that was killing them. Now he believes. Well, if he believes, it must be true. Plus, he's in the synagogues. Well, what do they study in the synagogues? They study the Old Testament scriptures. He knows them. He knows them all. He's got them memorized probably. So who better to be able to talk about the prophecies of Isaiah and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ? Here's this guy. He's the full package now. Then we see in in verse 23, after many days had gone by. Now, I'm going to just, there's a part that's kind of sketchy in the Bible. It gives us a a little bit of background, but not a lot. But what just kind of what happened to Paul during, immediately, like after his conversion, he didn't just get up now, find Barnabas and start going on missionary trips. Um, So in about 29 AD, um, we have the ascension of Jesus. And now we're at about 36 A.D., so Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. So we see um, uh, about um, seven years have passed uh, since, since the Ascension. So all these events that we see now have happened. They're, they're not simultaneously happening you know, in, in a week. This is about seven years. And then in 36, what Saul does, and we, he talks about this a little later. Let me read it to you. It is in Galatians. And it's Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 to 19. Galatians one thirteen to 19. For you had heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the, the church of God and tried to destroy it. So obviously he's writing to the people of Galatia and telling more of a background of his story. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So we're going to talk about him going to Jerusalem. But he says first he went to Arabia. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I am writing you, writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Sicilia and he goes on to where he went. But so there was a time in this period before he went up to, confer with Peter. He was gone for three years. Part of that time, we're not sure exactly the amount of those three years he was in Arabia. So what he's doing, he didn't consult with man to learn about Jesus. So we're assuming theologians are piecing this together. He's What he's saying is he's conferring with God. So so Paul, at some point, basically gets, we don't know how this divine intervention happens. He gets a one-on-one with God. Well, actually, we do know because he says in later in Scripture, he was taken up to the third heaven. I'll, next week, I'll find that scripture for you. I meant to have that mark. He gets up into the third heaven um, to the Lord's throne. What third heaven means is not like there's three levels of heaven and he made the top one. It's because if, if you're going back to the ancient languages, when you talk about like, for instance, creation, and it says heavens and earth. So not to get it confused with, he's just in parts of our atmosphere, like heaven where the birds fly or heaven where the solar system is. He's in God's heaven where, where God dwells. And so he gets this one-on-one um, with God, and we don't, we don't really know a lot about it in, in Scripture. Um, he alludes to it, talks a little bit about it, but it's, that part's not that important. We, we know um, that God has given him all these revelations, and he knows about Jesus Christ. So verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan day and night. They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opened wall. And later he talks about that even more. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So you see that the Jews want to kill him because, well, because he's, he's the believer now. They they to the Jews are turning against the followers of the way. They're they're not considered um, Christians because look at how many Jews even though that's how it started, they rejected the word and you see that really happening after Stephen's stoning because they don't want to get killed. They're like we're, we're not in and so they even want to kill The man who was on their side before. So he gets lowered in a basket. He considers this, when he talks about this later, is very humiliating, like he wasn't strong enough to be able to withstand that. But we know that's all part of God's plan. Uh, Verse twenty six, when he came to Jerusalem he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and now and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. So I think um, it seems like, I mean, Paul is a rabbi. He, he would have probably liked to stay in Jerusalem move about fearlessly but again that persecution is what is is pushing the the church further and further out and we see again we're introduced here again to Barnabas who is is we're going to see and we know is a companion of Paul and they go on journeys together so Barnabas is like the link to to the apostles, because you can't blame the apostles for being a little bit afraid of this. Like, what, what what, a great scam. This would be, act like I believe, come in and kill the leaders. So he doesn't do this. So he's he's now being able to walk around freely, except obviously there's still people trying to kill him. And because he's a Roman citizen, he's going to now be able to go out to all these other places with extreme access. So I think for today, that's a good place to to um Stop and we're gonna say a prayer and then I'm gonna turn it off and then we can talk about it a little bit. So and next week um, Cornelius, I'm gonna send uh, a link to Patty, I don't know if you like contemporary Christian music, but there is a song that will I want it to go and be in your head for six weeks as it is in mine but there's a there's a musical group called um, oh the Apologetics and they will take modern songs and they will put, uh, religious words and then Bible story words. And there's one about Cornelius. And I'm going to put a link if you feel like listening to it, um, listen to it. And this gives a little sum, summary of the story of Cornelius. And I promise you, you'll be singing it. You will never, ever stop. It was, I have been singing it in my head probably since since our kids were in youth group together because that's where I got introduced to this group. So let's fold our hands and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you again today for bringing us together to, to study your word and learn about the Apostle Paul and just use him as, as such a model of how the gospel should be preached to everyone that will listen in all the ends of the earth. And as we read about Paul and, and, all, and all the apostles and the people of the Old Testament, let us please give a special prayer today for the people in, in your countries who were devastated by an earthquake. So the same places where Paul walked and preached, now under a pile of rubble. So be with them, be with all of those who are there helping them and rescuing them and let them know that that the power of eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Be with all of us today that are hurting, that are suffering. Please be with Jeannie's arm. We want her to get better. And all of us who have physical, emotional illnesses right now, because we know that in you all things are possible. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.